0: Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou football beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, joined today by Post-Dispatch columnist Ben Fredrickson. We're recording this on Friday, on Saturday afternoon, the uh, Mizzou Tigers, they go out. to Columbia East, as we call it, to play South Carolina, the number 25 Gamecocks in the AP poll, I think in the coaches poll too. I am not a voter uh, for the AP football poll this year. I'm not sure I would have South Carolina on my ballot, but they are anyway. They're five and two. Uh, Ben, let's talk about this game. Let's talk about this team. Missouri's running out of chances at this point to kind of salvage their record, salvage the season. But I think they're just a three-point underdog, three-and-a-half-point underdog at South Carolina on Saturday.
1: I think this this game is a good lesson in SEC narratives, Dave. South Carolina has has really played all of its soft games up to this point, and they've won them, um, and they've built a little bit of a traction here. And they're that team that is down there on the bottom of the poll for voters when, like, you've really focused on your top 10, and you're getting toward the 25 mark, and you're like, I don't know who to pick anymore. And you're like, well, that team – is moving in the right direction maybe in the SEC, so they'll be 25th. Meanwhile, that Mizzou is, you know, coming off of a barely there homecoming win against Vanderbilt, and it can feel at times like the sky is is falling in Boone County, and there's this optimism in, in the other Columbia. So is one real? Is one fake? Is it somewhere in the middle? Who knows, but it does tell you just in the SEC how fine the line can be, and, you know, they feel like they've really got something going there. Um, with 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 Beamer's team, but I, I think it's I think that could be a little premature. I do think he's moving in the right direction, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not convinced that they're a top 25 team. Missouri is in a spot where it really needs to win one of its next two games, oh. and South Carolina is probably the more beatable team. This is a a chance for Missouri to kind of show that the Vanderbilt win was more than just holding on for dear life; that it was a a breakthrough in them kind of learning how to win close games when they had been on the the wrong side one thing you can say about South Carolina is they've learned how to win close games and they've been doing that and it's why they're kind of in this spot where their people their fans are excited
0: yeah I mean they they win ugly and you say it all the time in the SEC you don't have to apologize for how you win you just have to finish uh their offense nothing special they turn the ball over more than any team in the SEC Spencer Rattler leads the league in interceptions they fumble a lot um defensively they're they're fine you know, statistically, again, nothing special. Uh, they do get some takeaways, and they've had really timely takeaways. It's all about special teams for them, which you should come to expect with a, a Shane Beamer coach team. I mean, they play that Beamer ball, and it's not a coincidence. They, they're good in, in punt and kickoff returns, good in punt and kickoff coverage, and they block kicks, or at least they have. They've blocked five. Now, four of them have come against, you know, some of their worst opponents, Uh, But if you're a Mizzou, you got to be on high alert in the kicking game. You don't want to let this game, um, you know, get turned around by a mistake in coverage or uh, letting a big punt return go or getting something blocked because that's what they will try to do. Um, You know, I I think this is a game where Missouri's defense can just continue to keep doing what it's doing and get after Spencer Rattler and force him into some mistakes – and then try to capitalize. Um, Missouri's defense might need to score to win some of these games they have left, uh, which is something we've seen them do. But you know, I, it, it's all going to come down to Missouri's offense again. I mean, I, it's we're, it's a broken record. We, we just keep talking about the same things over and over again. But can they get some scoring drives together? Can they get maybe an explosive play or two? Can they sustain some drives? Now, you know, Eli Drinkwitz's talking point is eliminating the turnovers. Uh, part of that solution is stop playing Nate Pete. It sounds like he's not part of the running back equation much going forward. He had the, just a really bad fumble in the red zone last week and he's not getting, you know, he, he wasn't running very well either. So it's, it's going to be the Cody Schrader show, he and Brady cook, uh, and then these receivers. So we'll see if they can get it done. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just, at this point, expecting them to have some kind of midseason turnaround is probably unrealistic they're going to have to win this game with defense and just not shooting themselves in the foot on offense
1: yeah and, play, and taking a better product on the road yeah mean, um, you know, th- this kind of feels like a game where you want to be the contrarian and kind of maybe take advantage of the South Carolina hype of being ranked when maybe they shouldn't be you would say oh that's a game where you pick Mizzou but Missouri's unpickable for me on the road until they yeah. figure out that they can go on the road and win. We've seen them be more competitive, of course, than they were in that no-show at Kansas State, but the, the penalties, the self-caused mistakes, the fumbles, the, the the pick six you know, at Florida, you just have too many examples of them shooting themselves in the foot, and that to me is what they've got to get cleaned up as this thing goes toward the end of the season we we talked about this entering the year Dave this is not probably for either of us a win total season for Eli Drinkwitz there's not a number that he hits where you say okay everything's gonna be great next year or man could they actually look at could they actually look at potentially making a a change it's more of which trajectory the team is moving in and have they gotten better are there signs that the recruiting is starting to pay off um and signs that it's going to be even better if you give that roster a chance to really grow into a year four or are there you know signs of continued problems that aren't fixed is there does the offense get no better um are there are there guys leaving whether it's coaches for other opportunities or players in the transfer portal so this to me the, the vanderbilt game was the start of okay what what feel is this team going to have and you get a win, which you had to have. It was a can't lose game. Right. But what comes next? And was that a turning point or was it a lucky win at home against a bad Vanderbilt team that is then going to lead to, to SEC losses against better teams? One thing that jumped out, there's been so much conversation about Brady. Should he be the starter? I think we all agree. Yes. But I, I, I would like to see Sam Warren play. I thought he should have gotten a chance against Vanderbilt. Clearly it was on the table. Eli talked himself out of it during the game because the game kept getting closer and closer. But all this conversation about Brady Cook and should he lose his job, you know, can he get it done? You look at his numbers, they're Spencer Rattler. I mean, yeah. Mizzou fans would have done backflips to get Spencer Rattler. And, and at South Carolina, he's 124 for 195, just under 1,500 passing yards. He's thrown five touchdowns, Dave, and eight interceptions. Okay, remember those numbers, 124 for 195, 14,666 passing yards, five touchdowns, eight interceptions. Brady Cook, 128 for 196, 1428 yards, six touchdowns, seven interceptions. They're almost identical. One's got a name that everybody knows, and the other's uh, a guy who kind of emerged from the depth chart. And here's, I think the, the truth of it is that neither are playing very well. Right. But it sure seems like the conversation at Mizzou is is different than the one maybe nationally in South Carolina is having nationally and locally that South Carolina is having about Spencer Rattler. There there was no guarantee that an outside quarterback was going to come in and play better than Brady. But then you look at like what's going on at LSU where Jaden Daniels is emerging as a as a as a really good player for the LSU Tigers, and he had been on Mizzou's campus and decided not to come, went to LSU instead. So I just found that interesting that we're kind of starting to see some separation in the quarterbacks Missouri thought about trying to get the ones they swung and missed on. I don't think Rattler was very much in that group because they didn't think that they had much of a shot. But it's uh, it's interesting how it actually plays out in reality based off kind of the expectation.
0: Right, yeah, his numbers are nothing impressive at all. I mean, you can make the case he's one of the worst production-wise quarterbacks in the sec and they do though have a chance to go eight and four uh they're sitting there at five and two they still play missouri vanderbilt and florida they can win those games now they got clemson still and i think they have tennessee still too so um yeah i mean they, they've got some chances out there to have a really nice record in shane beamer's second season and i i don't think it's an overly talented roster uh they, they did hit the portal pretty hard their their defense has some Uh, freshmen and some portal players playing and starting, Uh, but, you know, recruiting really trailed off at the end of the Will Muschamp years. And, you know, you give credit to Beamer for putting them in position, uh, you know, to be where they are right now, even if they're not, even if it's, you look, take a deeper look and like, how are they doing this? You know, they had the same regular season record as Missouri last year and lost to Missouri, but, and bowl games, we we put less stock in them every year because these kids, are they're not playing in them. Yeah. They're Tuesday night games, you know, when no one's really watching. But South Carolina beat North Carolina in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, and that gave them seven wins, and it gave them a little burst of momentum going into the offseason. Uh, Beamer does a lot of the same stuff social media-wise and just kind of, uh, you know, taking jabs at other coaches that are sort of harmless but at the same time they get a lot of attention he's got this charisma and personality a lot of the same stuff that had Missouri fans really falling for drink wits a year ago two years ago and it's sticking because he's winning and with Eli all of a sudden the fans kind of turned on him not all of them but some after that K-State game and they were done you know with the with the with the shtick and they just wanted to see wins so it's amazing how even if you win ugly and you don't put up great stats but just winning games and be- beating Texas A&M for the first time ever that was a big deal because they play them every year uh, beating Kentucky even though they didn't have Will Levis still to beat Kentucky uh, in Lexington that was a big deal for their team and now they're on a winning streak you know they, they haven't won this many games in a long time so uh, they're they're doing making the most out of their situation and capitalizing on it. And they're going to have, I think, a fifth straight sellout or fifth this year sellout uh, at, at williams Bryce Stadium. And that place is a great atmosphere. Uh, for the Missouri players that haven't played there before, uh, they're going to be in for a great atmosphere. Maybe not as good at 3 p.m. or 4, it'll be 4 p.m. local as it would be at night game. Uh, but this, is, this will be a challenging game for sure.
1: Make sure to bring your uh, earplugs for that uh, godforsaken crowing oh, that yeah. uh, goes on there. In the stadium and it also speaks to a couple things catching a, catching a couple lucky breaks and also some probably smart scheduling by South Carolina this four game winning streak gave includes wins against Charlotte and South Carolina State. Um, I'm an idiot. I was one of the ones who thought Will Healy was one of the next big things at Charlotte. He's now fired, so right. I'll eat, I'll eat micro. Um, and also that big win against Kentucky, as you mentioned, it came without their quarterback. They don't have an offense without Levis, and their offensive line is pretty brutal, so that was a nice break. And then you get A&M, and you beat A&M, and A&M's, they're a mess. I mean, oh yeah, talk about play calling. Um, Eli Drinkwitz is facing calls for you know to hire an offensive coordinator you asked him about it. he says he'd be open to it and meanwhile must champ who must champ uh you got you got Jimbo. Jimbo down at uh down at A&M who is facing calls of the same thing and he's making a heck of a lot more money than Eli Drinkwitz so their offense is is totally stalled so a little bit of luck for South Carolina but hey take advantage of it no one's going to no one's going to apologize for catching some breaks and they are and they're and they're making making an impressive season out of it. We'll see if Missouri can derail it. I wanted to ask you about the play-calling thing, Dave, because I guess my initial take on this early in the season um, was, look, fans were asking, he needs to hire an offensive coordinator. He needs someone to call plays. My response was, look, that's what he was hired to do. He's hired to be this mastermind of this offense. If you guys want a different play-caller, then just say what you want. You want a different head coach, but they don't want that because – they like his recruiting and they're still optimistic about that but Eli drinkwitz was targeted was hired because he was supposed to bring kind of this innovative offense we've seen coaches at times give up coordination duties um Barry Odom did it um we had we we've or Barry Odom did things to take things off his plate Eli has done it said I'm not going to coach quarterbacks I need more time to to do big picture stuff CEO type coaching a lot do it but what's what do you think the the transition is here because if Eli's not the one calling the plays, is he so good at the CEO level of coaching that, that that would just not look like a a failure. I mean, I guess if it works, it makes a ton of sense, but I think you can also argue if this guy's offense needs to be handed over to someone else, then is this the hire that Missouri thought it made?
0: Right. Absolutely. I I think there's a lot of different things to sort of unpack there. Number one, is he actually going to do it? Uh, yeah. jim Jimbo has said in the past you know oh yeah i'll consider that in the offseason then he doesn't do it so we'll see uh i think some of it will depend on you know how the season finishes out and if he feels like he's got to do something maybe just for the not just for appearances because I, I don't know if he's that type but just maybe to shake things up a little bit Two, does he does he hand over those duties to somebody on the staff uh maybe bush hamden you know he was coordinator at university of washington at one time um so he's called plays before if not then you gotta, you gotta get rid of somebody because you can't just add an offensive coordinator without, you know, getting rid of somebody on your staff. Cause you can only have 10 full-time assistants. And then three, uh, do you go get somebody that has an established offense or do you just go get a new position coach and say, Hey, you got to run my offense, but I'm going to let you call the plays, or at least we're going to combine and work together. So, so much to figure out still, but I think I don't know. I, I could see some value in it. Like if play calling, you know, you watch the coaches do it. And you talk to them about doing it. They're they're working on the next play before the current play is even over. And sometimes I wonder, especially for a young coach, if you're so consumed with play calling, are you processing what's really happening in the game as well as you can be? Uh, you know, he'd still be making calls, you know, third down decisions, fourth down decisions. You know, you don't just leave that completely up to the, to the play caller. It's not like, you remember when Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno coached against each other in a bowl game late in their careers, they weren't even wearing headsets anymore. Like, what, what are they actually doing here other than the halftime interview? Uh, so it's not going to be a situation like that. But just the mechanics of it, how it would work, and if it would actually make improvements uh, is really interesting to think about. Um, and again, like you said, if, if he's not calling plays, then what exactly what exactly is he doing? What's the, what's the uh, upside of him as the head coach? And so we've seen he can recruit pretty well, um, but there's so much more involved in the job now than just play calling and just doing things as the head coach. There's still roster management. There's still game management. Uh, player development is something that I think this program really needs to invest in that's hard to do when you're switching staff all the time. So it's an interesting situation. We'll see what comes of it. I had some people in my chat this week, ask if the administration will force him to make changes. And I, I just don't see that smart ADs when you're paying the head coach $4 million a year, you can't micromanage their, their staff decisions. Now you can make suggestions, but you can't just mandate it. Nobody wants to work for an AD that's going to mandate things like that. That's just not all that realistic. Uh, so we'll see. It's a, it's an interesting situation, and I didn't I didn't necessarily ask him the question because fans ask about it all the time. I I asked it because it seems like after every game he's bringing up all these calls that he regrets making, and he's putting it all on himself, and he's he's shielding the players from blame, saying that's a terrible decision on my part, bad call. So like, okay, well, if you have all these bad calls this year, are you the right guy to be calling the plays? And I I, I thought his uh, his response I thought was refreshing you know I, I kind of expected maybe a little bit more resistance to the question
1: I um you have written a lot about this and it's been great context of these other programs that have taken off yeah in the same amount of time that this one has has been searching and one of the things that stands out about that whether it's Heifel at Tennessee up at Illinois I mean you look at Kansas and the, clearly Kansas was starting from a worse spot the zoo yeah. was, but all of these things these coaches have in common is that they've coached other places before for a long period of time. And I think that can be used against Eli at times and maybe it should be. but also, there's something to be said for giving up why the, this rush sometimes to give up on a guy who's learning these things, right who's building this experience. Like I said it when when Mizzou let Barry Odom go, like he's going to be a much better head coach when he gets that opportunity because of what he learned at Mizzou. You know what Mizzou will get for that benefit-wise? Nothing, because he's going to go do it somewhere else. There's something to be said for standing by a guy that you trusted enough to hire after he'd been a head coach for one year at App State and then giving him time to learn as he's learning on the fly how to build a program as an sec head coach and that's what i mean when i talk about like how to analyze this the last games of this season it's not a win amount it's if you're desiree Reed francois you have to look at is he putting it together is he getting it and and in some ways eli's saying yeah i'd be open to some changes it shows you that he's thinking about okay right it's not working how can it work and you have to see that a guy who's going to grow evolve address his weaknesses or maybe not weaknesses, but things that just aren't working right and and be willing to adapt. And So that's maybe a positive, but that's why, again, I'll say, if if asked today, I'm saying, hey, you're four, because the upside of Drinkwits is still unknown enough that it, to me it is much more worth the risk of taking than saying start it all over again. And it would be starting it all over again because all these players can walk out the door. Now, are there things that could change that opinion? For sure. Because what if the players walk out the door and he's still here? Or what if Blake Baker comes and gets an offer to go be an SEC defensive coordinator at a school that's got more position, um, more security for the head coach, a bigger salary? What if he gets a head coaching job and says, look, I, things feel kind of unstable here. I can't wait here. So that all these things are part of it. The next recruiting class, you know, player retainment, player development. That's what I'm looking at if I'm the AD, not, OK, is it a bowl season? Right. Like, I, right. I, that would be great. But it's it's more about which trend line does this thing have? Are you are you buying or selling on next season being something that builds off of the frustration of this season? And there are a lot of different ways to measure that. But part of it is, how do you feel the head coach is growing with more seasons of being a head coach in the SEC? Because the guys we're seeing succeeding have all done it before. Right. And right. it's not Eli's fault that he didn't have the experience. They gave him the job. <laughs> he right, wanted right. the job and he, and he wants to succeed, but you can't almost retroact. Sometimes I think you almost kind of retroactively punish a coach when you knew his qualifications and the ones he didn't yet have right. when you hired him. And if you're, if you're Alabama, then you can afford to, to just press refresh and, you know, and go spend God, you know, God knows what to bring in somebody who else who's probably unlikely to have any chance of failing. But there's something like, I think Missouri has developed this coaching firing issue where it's like, it's like the three year itch where if you see it happening, Dave, it's yeah. Everybody loves, everybody is sick of Barry Odom. So they love Konzo. And we're talking about football and basketball, even at Mizzou, everybody loves, everybody is sick of Barry. So they love Konzo. Okay, Barry's gone. Everybody loves, everybody loves Eli and they're and they're sick of Konzo. Okay, Conzo's gone. Everybody loves Dennis Gates and they're sick of Eli. It's like this self-perpetuating cycle. Right. There's something, maybe you got to get off that. And maybe you got to look at, okay, what, what have we been doing? It hasn't been working. So, so how do you maybe make a change? Now, if you're gonna say patience, 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 you gotta
0: make sure that you're giving it to the right guy. Right, and that's, right. That's what I think the rest of this season's about. Well, and to, to build on that, if, if I'm Eli, and he's not asking me for advice by any means, but um, if I'm having a, a no matter how the season ends, now, if, if they end up three and nine, that, that's a different discussion than four and eight or five and seven with some close losses. But if I'm sitting down with Desiree um, and having a kind of a postseason talk about the future, Here's what I'm saying as far as the offense, offensive coordinator, future of the offense. Last offseason, last year, 2021, we had the worst defense in the country, worst in Power Five. It was a disaster. Um, I went out and got Blake Baker. Yeah, at the time, I wasn't hiring him as a coordinator, but my my the thought was he would be the coordinator eventually. Well, what happened? We hit the portal hard. We promoted Baker to coordinator, and now we have the most improved defense in the sec if not power five so all it took was one off season of some changes i delegated a little bit differently and we got that fixed now let me do it on offense i've shown i can do it on one side of the ball as the sort of the ceo and letting them do their thing on that side of the ball now we got to fix it on this side so that's what i would that's what i would lean toward um the the problem is there's a little bit more body of work here with offense saying man it's gotten worse each year you got to hit on the quarterback. There's no one position on football, on defensive football, where you got to say, okay, you got to get this one right. No, they just went out and got a bunch of defensive linemen. Uh, they got a couple guys in the secondary and a linebacker, and those guys have helped. And then the guys that they returned all got better. And then the system is much better. The scheme's easier to understand, it seems like. And they're getting results and they get better by the week, it seems. So I would, I would sell that, say, hey, we fixed that. Another thing they fixed, and I think this probably has more to do with Desiree, maybe, than than Drinkwitz, they've got the attendance situation uh, on the upswing. Uh, fans are showing up at games. That place was rocking last week for Vanderbilt and for homecoming. Part of that's because it's homecoming, but they've made progress there. Uh, they've made progress with defense. He made the point the other day, they've made progress with facilities, with that new indoor that's going to be open in June. So there are things that under his watch, whether you give him the credit for it or not, have improved. Now it's the offense. It's got to be the offense. It's got to be player development on the offensive line. I think they should go get the best tackles they can find in the portal and then figure out this quarterback situation. I don't know if it'll unfold on its own the rest of this season or if it's going to take, uh, you know, some maneuvering in the offseason. But they've got to get that right. I mean, that goes without saying.
1: Yeah, and then, the, the of course, the people are screaming at their – their phones or wherever they're listening to this are saying yeah but offense is supposed to be his bailiwick and it that's is. totally fair right that's the, that's the the heightened sense of concern is if, if it was a the surging offense and he was looking for the right defensive guy to run it you'd almost be like yeah that makes sense right why is the offense struggling why is this why how did this offensive line issue become so prevalent i mean this is this is that's the bulk of this. I mean, we want to talk about play call. I, like that's to me, like I don't even think it's. I know everybody wants to go nuts about play calling. Like I'm sure that Eli's got plays that would be great if he had the the right offense if, roster to be able to do it. You don't go out and call your best, most exciting, electric Andy Reid spin off plays when you can't block anybody up front. Right? You need time. You need time to 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 pull off great. You know trickeration and double passes and reverses and and all that vertical stuff that everybody wants to see. It starts with the part that nobody cares about, which is blocking people on the offensive line. When you can't do that or when you have a quarterback who's inconsistent, what do you do? You shrink things down. You get conservative. You play things safe. You try to minimize mistakes. You You try to take pressure off of the weak spots. And when your weak spots are your offensive line and your quarterback, you might as well rip out three quarters of your playbook and throw it in the shredder. Like, I don't think Eli Drinkwitz has forgotten how to call plays. Right. I think he's, I think he's trying to figure out how to how to not let his offense lose games when he wants to call plays for an offense that can win games. Right. And and that that's not an excuse. That's how did, how did you not have the guys? How did you not have the guys be able to do this in year three? And that would be my question. I, I think the guy, I don't think he needs to have an offensive coordinator. I think he needs to have an offense that can do the plays he wants to do, which is on him as a recruiter and his staff to get those guys. Not having them in year three is a concern. Um, you've got to see. I would want to see signs that they're going to be there in year four.
0: Right. I, I said go hit the portal for offensive line. But you don't yes. have to. You don't have to because you know what? Look at this league. LSU right now. You know who their right and left tackles are? True freshmen. And they're not five-star blue chip guys. They they've had some injuries, so they have some freshmen out there. LSU's really good right now. Ole Miss, one of the best offenses in the country, redshirt freshmen starting at left and right tackle, and that's more by choice. They've had some injuries, but they're figuring out ways to get it done. So um, you know, I just to say, hey, you know, we don't have, uh, we we can't, we don't have time, or we we haven't had offensive alignment we can develop. I don't think that's an excuse anymore, especially when you're recruiting top 20 classes. So um, they've got to get that figured out. It's not as fun to talk about in the quarterback situation to say, oh, they really need to develop a left guard. Like no one, you know, that's not a fun conversation to have. But that's at the root of all of this because they've got the receivers. They're finding running backs. Like, you know, they're not Tyler Beatty. But Tyler Beatty wasn't. It's not like he was some – you know, great find either. I mean, he was a great find. He wasn't like this celebrated player. He developed and, and got better over time and was, was great last year, but yeah, it, it comes down to the offensive line, Marcus Johnson, their O-line coach who they paid a lot to keep after year one, because Lane Kiffin tried to hire him. He's an old Miss grad. They made a, a strange change after that 2020 season, Kiffin fired his O-line coach like in the spring and they made a run at Johnson to bring him back home. And, Eli gave him an expanded title and gave him a raise and uh, right now his group is it's fair to say they're underperforming they got three seniors starting and it does not look good
1: so we got it all figured out Dave it's all solved exactly. and, uh, we have all uh, the answers you know easier easier said than done but I do I do sometimes think it's really fun to, to talk and debate play calling and it's really not fun to like look at offensive linemen and be like oh they're getting beat or their schemes are not working and and also too and i'm guilty of this I, I harp about the penalties all the time yeah how do they have so many penalties well the bulk of their penalties are false starts and holding penalties And right. what mm-hmm. happens when your offensive line is getting beat they get jumpy and they false start they're inexperienced and they false start or they're just not they're Not locked in, they're not playing well, they fall start, and also they try to hold because they're getting beat. They're trying yeah. to keep their quarterback from getting killed. So they're grabbing and grabbing cloth and getting out of position, and those are holding penalties. So I, I do think that's that's a lot of it, and it's just happening at a spot that tends to get overlooked a bunch. So I thought we should spend some time on that. Um, you know, you put Brady Cook at South Carolina, and he's probably got as good a numbers, if not better, than Spencer Rattler does this year. Put Spencer Rattler at at mizzou he's probably thrown more interceptions than he has at south carolina so i know we and it's fair like i mean brady has not proven that he's that he's an sec starter and i think there's real reason to look at that position Uh, but i just thought that the the spencer rattler comparison statistically for a south carolina team that is now ranked 25 and on a four game winning streak to brady's numbers which are basically identical it it shows you that there are some other things going on here too so yeah, we'll see sure. if Mizzou can kind of start to develop a, a little bit of a positive narrative here, Dave. The, the, the win against Vanderbilt was probably as the least encouraging kind of win you can get. Yep. But if you stack another one on top of it, and that would be a ranked, hey, that's a ranked win if you get it. A ranked win on the road for a team that hasn't figured out how to travel. So if you're looking to try to start bringing some, some, some positive storylines around, this is a, a ripe game to go do it on the road against a team that is barely ranked when you have a track record of not playing well on the road
0: yep and and eli Drinkwitz is three and zero at williams bryce stadium he won there as a is an auburn assistant he won there as app state's head coach and he won there two years ago as missouri's head coach he's actually never lost to the gamecocks because they beat them last year in columbia so uh a win for missouri they get to bring they get to keep the mayor's cup because they have it uh mayor barbara buffalo here in town was tweeting about it uh oh, i was talking time. smack yeah, she was tweeting about it. She's a. This is her. I guess this is her first Mayor's Cup game because she was sworn in last year, last fall. Uh, so she, I'm sure she w- would like to uh, this Columbia, Columbia West, to keep hold of that thing. No one in this series has ever won four in a row. Three in a row is. It's peaked at three, I believe. So what a rivalry!
1: You could fit a lot of tropes into that cup, Dave. You can, you can. Maybe, well, you can, maybe, you know this. In fact, maybe, like you've experienced
0: it. Maybe good mojo. Maybe South Carolina brings Dawn Staley down to the uh, sideline and lets her uh, maybe coach the linebackers and fire up fire up the Gamecocks against Mizzou. We, we know the bad blood there. I think Jim Stirk
1: probably won't be attending this one. Probably not. Probably yeah, probably not welcome in the entire, entire state of uh, South Carolina. But shout out to Jim Stirk. I'm sure he's probably listening while he's biking on a trail or for walking um always enjoyed our chats with uh, with jim all right dave safe travel to, to south carolina we'll we'll catch up next week and, and look ahead to another mizzou game stay safe everybody have a good weekend and keep it locked at stltoday.com for all of your mizzou coverage for dave i'm ben we will talk to you next time